0: a very good afternoon to all, eh? brothers and sisters in the Dhamma. First of all, I would like to thank eh, Sister Susan eh, for inviting us to her house. And before that, for offering us a very sumptuous and very good lunch. eh? We had both conventional and vegetarian. eh? So, it's a very good mix. eh? We had almost three tables. tree table. Mm. Then this very place, I remember, the first time I came, the altar, we help actually set up the altar. Mm. Then we give it the chanting, the blessing, everything. And Susan that time, immediately after the retreat from Cameron, I think he got this very beautiful bodhisattva, the image from Cameron Island. Uh, so, all those were the condition for the arising of that beautiful altar. Just now I came in, I can feel the energy here is very good now. Uh, and you have a very good house. Sadhu uh, to you. Sadhu, uh, sadhu, sadhu. And also today, uh, being still on Chinese New Year, huh? I like to wish all Kayana huh? happy, prosperous, and good Chinese New Year. Huh? The usual greeting is Gongsi, Fa Chai. So, the Chinese tradition got this Fa Chai, prosperity. That's why we see here, right? Where is the golden pig? Yeah. Huh? Oh, and so I came in, I saw, wow, the golden pig. I always see on the TV uh. so in Cantonese they call some more golden one <laughs> but this is what Chinese tradition is so we have a lot of Chinese tradition greetings uh, greetings so when you greet people you normally wish for their well-being their prosperity but nowadays the more elderly people they are more conscious they really wish for good health long life money to them is not so critical if you don't have the good health got money also not much use so these are the things that we have to understand but wishing alone according to the Buddha will not bring forth the condition for it to be. Ah, Sorry, thank you for it to materialize yeah. Like a lot of new year greeting huh? If all this wish can make your, your wish come true then no need to cultivate No need to develop wholesomeness and goodness then the world will not be what it is but how come most people receive wishes, good wishes, good greeting but their life is not as per what is rich. <laughs> it all boils down to understanding the Buddha Dhamma, the teaching. If you want it to materialize, you must have the Dhamma. You must underta- understand the Buddha's teaching. If you understand the Buddha's teaching, then it's very easy to change your life, to transform yourself personally. Means, personality-wise, character-wise, and even understanding or wisdom-wise, you will transform, you become different. Then you will understand life, and you will know how to live life, and you will have all the good friction returning to you through your good action, through all your wholesome deeds, your generosity, your kindness, your understanding, your love, your compassion. So these are the dhamma that can change your life, that can make you different. That's the reason why the Buddha through the understanding of the first right view with regards to the law of karma. He said the law of karma is very important. It's one of the greatest spiritual law. It affects your life a lot. That's why he can give you in his teaching, he said, you have to contemplate the five daily contemplation. The first four is about birth, old age, sickness and death. About this physical body. He said this physical body of ours eh, is impermanent, not real. It goes the way of nature. It's subject to birth. Because of birth, there will be old age, leading to sickness, and finally, separation or death. Yeah. Then the fourth contemplation is, is it, not only this body of ours is of the nature to grow old, get sick and die. It will also separate from all of us. So separation is the fourth contemplation. The Buddha says, whatever you think you own, whatever you think you really yeah." Possess your loved ones, your possession, your wealth, or whatever that you hold on to dearly, they were separate from you, the Buddha said. When condition is no more conducive, they were separate. Or even when condu- condition is still very, very good, when your breath stops, you also lost your identity. You also separate from there. So separation is a reality. So when you confront this noble truth of separation you have to have the understanding, otherwise you will suffer. But the last one is the most important. He said, all of living beings, not only human beings, we are all born of our karma, heir to our karma, conditioned and supported by our karma. And because of that he said, you are what you are because of your karma. So this is the law of karma, so powerful, our entire life depends on karma. Because we are born of it, we inherit everything. And we are what we are because of karma. And it conditions and supports us every moment, every instant. If your entire life is almost 100% dependent on karma, or karma, then what must you do? That's why the Buddha came out with this understanding. His advice under Dhammapada, verse 183. He said, you have to act this way, which is the advice of the Buddha. So he said, because of this law of karma, you have to take care of karma. To take care of karma, you need to do three things. That is what the cultivation is all about. Avoid all evil with it, cultivate goodness, wholesomeness, then meditate, purify your mind, develop the wisdom, so that you are not deceived by the phenomenal world. You are not deluded by the phenomenal world of consciousness. Then he said, to avoid all evil, you have to understand what constitutes evil. The three evil roots of greed, hatred and delusion are evil roots, make you evil. So you must not have them. You have to root them out. Then he recommended the keeping of precepts, minimum for lay people, the five precepts. And why do you have to keep them? Because according to the Buddha, he has come to realize, if you violate any of the five precepts, they lead to coming negativity, downfall. Every other precept. Take, for example, our first precept. The meaning is, we undertake the training rule to abstain from killing fellow living beings or causing harm to fellow living beings. Who will do that? Unless you are deluded, evil, violent, selfish, you will not do that. You will not kill. You will not harm. So people who break this precept has the evil root of greed, selfishness, emotional negativity like anger, hatred and violence. And they are deluded. That's why they dare there to do all these things. So all the three evil roots are there. And this will bring about karmic negativity because according to the law of karma, you reap what you sow Do good, because good. Do evil, because evil. If you plant the seed of wholesomeness, you will receive the fruit of wholesomeness. If you plant the seed of evil, you will receive the fruition of that act or that whatever intention that is intended. So, in this way, we understand why we need to keep our precepts, and this is very important. If you kill people, you harm people, then when the coming fruition come back, when there is condition, people will kill you, harm you, whenever there is condition. So the next four precepts is the same. Those who steal, misappropriate things, they also have selfishness, delusion and evil roots. Those who commit self, sexual misconduct, the third precept is the same. There is lust, there is selfishness. There is craving. There is desire. And there is delusion, foolishness. Otherwise you wouldn't do it. Then those who lie, cheat and deceive people is the same. They are selfish. They have evil intentions. They are also deluded. Then the last precept is when you partake intoxicant drugs and all those things. Who will do that? Deluded people who don't understand. Because that will cause your consciousness to be affected, afflicted. Then when your consciousness is affected, afflicted, you may do stupid things. It may cause you to violate all the first four precepts. That's why Mm -hmm. heedlessness is very dangerous, born of delusion. So this is why you have to cultivate wholesomeness. And to do that, we have to keep our precept so that there is favorable condition for us to develop the cultivation. That's why when you take the precept, the monk will chant back to you. Even the five precepts or the eight precepts, They will chant back to you. Si lena ting yanti, Si Lena boga sampadan, Si Lena nipun ting Yanti plasma, silang, visu, de. The meaning is, precept is a source of spiritual joy. Precept is a source of spiritual wealth. And precept is a source of spiritual peacefulness of mind, calmness of mind. So without the support of the precept, your mind state cannot be peaceful, cannot be calm, cannot have joy. You cannot receive spiritual wealth. That's why you need to keep your precepts. And people who keep their precepts are normally cultivators, devotees, spiritual practitioners who goes to temple, renew their precepts or receive their precepts. And these are the people who have good mind state that can meditate and can cultivate. If you don't keep your precepts, what will happen to you? If you kill people, you harm people, you cheat and misappropriate things or commit sexual misconduct, there is constant fear in you, worry, anxiety. When you scared, people might come to know. People might come and take revenge against you. Then sometimes you do all this, like right. cheat people, misappropriate things or killing people. It may lead to police case, criminal activity and all those things. Then when it dawn upon you, you will have fear, worry, anxiety, you lack peace. You can't sleep. And this is the result of consequence. Somebody is here. <laughs> they, they, they they try to huh? I think your knees are. Oh no, England's one, uh, England somebody huh? No England's knees are. Uh So if you do all these things, your mind is not peaceful and when your mind is not peaceful, when you have problems, how can you meditate? You understand? When you try to meditate, that thought keeps on coming, because fear will condition, worry, anxiety, then sometimes remorse. So all these are the result of lack of Understanding to keep the precepts, the importance of keeping precepts. So if you keep your precepts, that's why the Buddha said, because precepts are a source of spiritual joy, spiritual calmness, peacefulness of mind and well. then it will bring forth a condition for you to cultivate. Then you can have a calm mind, a peaceful mind that has clarity, That you can develop mindfulness, awareness within, to see things as they are, to have the clarity of mind, to understand life, to understand who you are, what you are, and how you manifest as a human being, how your mundane mind arises and passes away, how it gives rise to consciousness and its content. When the content goes in through your delusion, conditioned mind, this content will make you evil, because the memory that you carry, before you become enlightened, they are all wrong thought, wrong born of wrong view, born of all your views, opinion and conditioning. And because of that, you make mistakes. Yeah. So that is the reason why, if you really want to cultivate, you must keep your precepts. That's why with precept the Buddha says, your meditation will progress. Then samadhi kick in. That's the reason why the teaching is sila samadhi panya. Sila means morality, keeping your precept, make your life peaceful, in order, develop wholesomeness. When you abstain from evil, you become beautiful. Then when you have samadhi, clarity of mind, Collected and unvarying mind. You can see things as they are. You can insight into phenomena, awaken and develop wisdom. That's how meditation transforms you. Then when you have wisdom, you understand the unreality of form and mind. They are impermanent. They are dependent originating, condition arising phenomena. Not a permanent unchanging entity where you can call this is me, this is I, or this can be mine. They are not what you think. So because of all this understanding, then you see the importance of not only keeping your precept, important of cultivating merit, virtue, wholesomeness. That's why when you come to Dhamma class, when you develop the cultivation, you do all the devotional practice, you will get to perform all the ten meritorious actions that the Buddha mentioned. The ten meritorious actions are very important. It gives rise to conditions for you to receive wholesomeness, merits. And if you go for any devotional practice or dhamma classes or retreat, you always will perform these ten meritorious actions. First is Dana, Sila and Bhavana. You got a lot of condition or opportunity to perform generosity Dana. You can make offering already love and metta and all those things. Then you can develop the precept. You keep your precept it's also meritorious. Then when you sit and meditate, you also develop merits. Then when you pay respect to the triple gem to all the great beings, the Buddhas and all these things. Reverential salutation is a merit marital section too. Then after that you listen to the Dhamma, it's a meritorious action. Then you straighten your view. It's a meritous action. Then you transfer merit. You share merits. You rejoice. These are all marital sections. So you have nine. The last one is service Community, the Buddhist community, or any charitable uh, association or organization. Then, when you help out in the sasana, you provide service, and this service brings about great merits. Yeah. Sometimes you can have it in the uh, help out in the translation of the Dhamma, or Developing the draft transcript for people to edit. Then you can also help to type them, proofread them. So all these are service. Then you can help out by becoming organizer, organizing community members in all the community of the temple or way place you are in, or even our kanyenmeter. We also need people who can help out, like many of our kayamita, they help to maintain a proper orderly organization committee that help organize all the activity. And also, there are also another group that help to develop the printing of the Dhamma books, the transcript book. Then we have our annual retreat, spiritual trip, annual spiritual trip. And many other Dharma activities that need people to provide service and help out, so the temporary section, once you develop it, you can invoke power of merits for causes and conditions for you to avoid the foolish, meet up with the wise and the enlightened one, so that you can realize your enlightenment as soon as possible. This is advice by the Buddha too. That's why after our religious ceremony or session, the Buddha always asks you to share merit, transfer merit, then invoke power of merits for causes and conditions to arise for you to progress along the path of Dhamma. That's why you chant, starting with the Deva, Akasata Chyobumata, all this things. Then you make your aspiration, Imina Punya, Kamina, by the power of this Punya, this is your merits. Uh, so it punyang mame bala satang So this is invoke power merits for causes and condition for you to avoid the foolish, the heedless, meet of it the wise and enlightened one. So the enlightenment in the here and the now can be realized, and this will help you progress along the path of Dhamma. Uh, and this will all create. Conducive condition for you to meditate and develop the appropriate causes and conditions for you to awaken. Then after that you cultivate noble evil power. Means not only you keep precept to avoid all evil, you have to cultivate the four right efforts. The four right efforts are very important, but you need to be mindful to see your evil roots. So that the first right effort to abandon all the Wrong thought, wrong speech, wrong action that has a reason, Miss thought, action and speech that has the evil roots. Then later on, when you are mindful, aware, and you have the initial wisdom, you can arise the right effort to prevent all these wrong thought, wrong speech, wrong action from arising, where you already understand how they affect you, how they make you evil. First is the right effort to abandon. After they arisen, then abandon. And to do it, there are five ways uh, we have control. Uh, first is to think of the direct opposite wholesome talk. The second way is to think of the consequence, the danger of holding on to this wrong talk or wrong action and wrong speech. And the third way is the meditative way. Just silence your mind aware and see that all these are mind states which are impermanent, they are not real. So like anger, they come and they go. Before you are angry there was no anger. Anger is a condition arising entity born of your delusion and wrong view. So when you meditate, you just relax and silent. Be with the anger. Then you realize when there is no more wrong view, no more thought, energy going in, then that Anger, that energy, it will dissipate and cease. Then you realize, anger was never you. Anger is just a dependent originating condition arising mind state. And they come and they go. And they are not real. And that is wisdom. So when you are able to realize that peace, that silence, you come to know your original state of mind before the delusion come and stir your mind and make you angry and unhappy or fearful, it was never there. So it is because of delusion that the mind stir and react and become what it is. Then you realize, if my original state of mind is already peaceful, tranquil, still, quiet, then why must I go and create thought and make it active? Then why must I hold on to memory, the views, opinions and conditioning to stir my mind and make my mind evil? To create all the evils of greed, hatred and delusion and fear, worry and anxiety. With this understanding, you awaken to the reality. Then this meditative silence, which is just relaxed and aware, will develop the wisdom. Then after that, the Buddha said, you have to trace the forward, trace the origination factor, then retrospectively reverse it. If you are mindful, if you are aware, you can trace how did anger arise, how did fear arise, how did selfishness arise. Before they arise, there was none. Then when did it arise? How did it arise? It's due to your wrong view. And it always arises through one of your sense door, senses. Either when you see something you don't like, you react and stir your mind. Or you hear something that you are not happy, you react and stir your mind. Or you recall certain frightening things, fearful things, or things that bring about bad, uh, what they call remorse and all those things like your scars of memory, your phobia, your fear. When you recall them, your mind develops fear. Then when you perceive something with negativity, then you project your thought. Fear arises. So all these movements, if you are mindful, you are aware, you see them. So you already have the understanding. The Buddha says, trace the origination factor. So it's through one of your senses and how you input the content of consciousness to your wrong view, your delusion. So I already know the reason behind, means I have traced the origination factor, so I can reverse it. How do I reverse it? I need to reflect contemplate and develop the appropriate wisdom to reverse it. So that next time when I see something of that nature, I ask myself, why did I react? Why did I stir? Because of that wrong view, then how can I develop the right view? How can I straighten my view so that I will not do all these things? Same for the hearing consciousness, the thought consciousness. So the Buddha said, you have to learn to develop this wisdom through seeing things as they are. dasana, direct knowledge and vision of the reality. They see things as they are, not according to what your brain, your memory tells you what your conditioning tells you, what your views and opinions interpret to you. So you need to have this ability to see things as they are, may silent your mind, no more stirring, nothing, then you have the direct seeing, then you will awaken. If I don't label anything, then there is no word, no concept, no right, no wrong. Then there is no fear, nothing. Then I understand, like the Buddha said, see things as they are means, thing is just the way it is. Cannot be otherwise. And then, I develop this understanding. Like the Buddha said, if conditions arise, then this condition will condition the world to be what it is. That's the reason why the Buddha told the monk: whatever that arises in this world, there are causes and conditions behind. And this causes and he already taught the monk, he said. And what are they? The fifth contemplation, law of karma. You are born of your karma, add to your karma, conditioned and supported by your karma. And you are what you are because of your karma. So when you understand this, you will be able to accept the reality. Whatever arises, there are causes and related to karma. If it's karmic then it's fair. I can accept it. When I accept it, I'm at peace. I don't get angry. I don't react anymore. I don't stir my mind anymore. I don't blame anybody. Because it's coming. So when I have this understanding to see things as they are, then I reply. No wonder the world is the way it is. Angry people will say angry things. Selfish people will do selfish things. Deluded people will do deluded things. So they are just the way they are. Ah, with this understanding, your mind becomes more peaceful, more tranquil. You have straightened your view. You don't go and comment like before. How can this guy do this? How can this guy scold me? How can this guy do all this nonsense? That is your view, your opinion. You perceive him with negativity. You may argue as if that is what he was. Correct. That's why the Buddha said, he is what he is. You have to accept him for what he is. The Buddha doesn't mean, accept him means agree with him. No, accept him means accept their reality, but you don't agree with what they do, understand or not? But He is the way he is. So you have to accept them, be at peace, then ask yourself, how can I resolve this amicably? How can I move forward? So if I can accept him for what he is, I don't stir my mind, there is no, evil roots of greed, hatred, and delusion, or anger, or fear, or emotion, then I realize the mind is always at peace. Uh, this is what wisdom is all about. Trace the origination factor, and retrospectively reverse it through an understanding, through a right view. And uh, this is the most powerful. This is wisdom. If you have this, your mind becomes beautiful. And this is what Satipatthana is all about, the four foundations of mindfulness. Under the fourth foundation, Dhamma Nupasana, the Buddha said you have to meditate, develop mindfulness on the six internal sense bases, the six external sense bases. Then through this develop the understanding. And this is basically what the third and fourth way is all about. Especially the fourth way. When you do this mindfulness of the internal sixth. Sense, sense basis and external sense basis. You will trace the origination factor coming from the sense basis. It comes from one of the sense bases, otherwise it cannot arise. And because of that, you can straighten your view and reverse all this to an understanding. Then later on when your mindfulness becomes very stable, you can just insight into phenomena and awaken to the three universal characteristics of impermanent suffering state. and non-self-nature or empty nature of existence. And this is what the Dhamma is all about. So right view is so powerful, just one simple right view with regards to law of karma, bring forth the whole meditative understanding. Then you have the second right view, law of mind, means citta niyama how your mind function following the dependent origination but teachasampada or dwelling. Then when you are mindful, when your daily mindfulness is very stable, you understand how your mind function. How you function, who are you, what you are you, and how all this arise. Because according to this teaching he said dependent on ignorant avijja, it conditions Sankara. That's like avija Pachya Sankara. And what is Sankara? Mental activity, mental thinking. So depending on ignorance, you cannot understand, you want to understand, one thing to know, one thing to understand, you think. And when you think, you make contact with the mind. And mind is an organ, the brain. So when you make contact like a physics experiment, consciousness arises, mind consciousness arises. You become conscious of that thing. That's why avijja sankara. Then sankara patya which is the pure consciousness before the content went in. Then it will condition nama rupang, the five aggregate of form. And mind. Now this is the five mental aggregate of form and mind. When you input your content of consciousness, that's why there is dhamma, there is rupang. Yeah. So the nama rupang, the second aspect is the thought. The pure awareness or consciousness that receives the content becomes the thought. And that is the mental five aggregate of form and mind. So the Buddha said, depend on these five aggregate of form and mind, there must be sense basis for it to arise. Otherwise, it cannot arise. That's why the sense basis is coming. Then dependent on sense basis, there must be contact. Without contact, there is no arising of consciousness. Then within the consciousness and the content, there is feeling. That's how upon contact, feeling arises. Then without wisdom, yonisot manasikara, craving arises. So the law of dependent origination continues. That's how it ends up in suffering. Craving will condition grasping. Grasping will condition becoming. Becoming will condition birth, birth into that, Hence arises the whole mass of suffering all this will become clear to you then you can awaken uh, then when it comes to Dhamma Nupasana uh, sorry, the third right view Dhamma Niyama is even easier after that all the essential Dhamma will become very clear to you and your cultivation become like very simple very easy, because you understand the teaching and this is the difference between theory and the real understanding of the Dhamma. When you understand, you can put it into practice and you can live it, live that Dhamma. But if it's a theory, you cannot put it into practice, because you don't understand what that thing is. It's only a theory to you, and you do with delusion. That's why all the thought-based meditation cannot lead to awakening. So when this thing happens, You don't have the embodiment of the living Dhamma. It cannot manifest in you. It doesn't change you, it doesn't transform you. That's why a lot of people realize after so many attempts going to retreat, cultivating, spending a lot of time, maybe at the retreat they are calm, they are peaceful, they have some good meditative experience. But after they come out, when they are back to the daily life, They realize nothing has changed, maybe they think they have changed, but actually nothing has changed because they still got their own, what they call, wrong view, they still react and stir, they still believe there is a self, a personality, an egoic mind within That's why everything is so strong, the egoic mind, the psychiatry, the self-delusion, but the thought itself is egoic before you awaken, before you have the wisdom, the understanding and this is why people can become unhappy, miserable, fearful, afflicted by the Noble Truth, the first Noble Truth realities so this is basically a very general sharing of what the teaching is all about so if you have this background, it can really help you. Mm. So with this maybe you got any question or what, eh? you can ask me uh, or any other topic that you might want to know. Eh? Because today sharing I was told by uh, Susan, eh? keep it short, <laughs> because it's actually for another monk, Achan eh? Jumian. is supposed to come but something happened, then she called me up I said, no problem, Susan. Whatever. Uh, he said we will still have the lunch because her good intention, the generosity to invite you all, and he want to keep it. Then he, she also told me just in case if Ajahn Jumian can make it, then we go back to original. No problem. I say uh, that's why the condition everything was so conducive. Then I say. If Chan Jumian is not there, he said, I will invite you to have a short Dhamma sharing. And that's why today only short and cute. <laughs> sado, sado, sado. Do you all have any question Or anything you want to ask? Or any topic that you might want to understand? Anybody? The mic is there. Yeah, <laughs> Wei, just now you asked me a question yeah. when we were discussing huh, the sainthood way and the bodhisattva way. Yes, uh, uh. <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> huh? So I hope I can make use of this condition to explain to you. Yeah. While we were discussing, we end up, Jiwei Wei asked me that question. He said, Brother Thio, what about the Theravada tradition? Oh, I said, Theravada tra- tradition, okay. What about that? He said, the Theravada tradition is the sainthood way. Is it more difficult? Or is it easier? Of course, as compared to the Bodhisattva way. Huh. So, what do you think? Huh? What do you all think? Uh, of course, easier. Well, you also know, huh? uh, I passed the mic to Chui. <laughs> Let Chui reply. <laughs> yeah, Chui, you want to try? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it is a very good question. That's why you all should thank Chi Wei. Yeah? So we should rejoice. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. It also enabled me to maybe clear up the matter a bit for you all, so that you have the understanding. Because both ways are beautiful. The sainthood way that the Buddha taught to the monk at that time is because, as per what he explained to the monk, there is this samsipa leaf. He was in this samsipa groove where the forest is full of leaf, then there are a lot of dry leaf on the floor, on the ground. And he took out one handful and he asked the monk. He said, You look at the handful of leaves that is in my hand and the amount of leaves that is in the forest, which is more. And of course the monk said, the forest one is a lot more. Grand. Then you know what the Buddha answered, Sakyamuni. He said, likewise, what I have understood is like the leaves in the forest. But what I am teaching you is just a handful. But this is enough for enlightenment, for salvation. And what is this handful of leaves? He said, these are the four noble truths, the three turning. That was his Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta, the first teaching after his enlightenment. He taught the five ascetic. And he said, Why is this important? Well this is conducive for enlightenment in the here and the now. This handful of leaves is and now. So it's just like in the four foundation of mindfulness. Satipatthana Sutta, the opening statement, what did the Buddha say? Ekayano bhikaway biko. O bhiku. This is the only way for the purification of being, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for reaching the right path, for the realization of Nibbana, the enlightenment in the here and now. So that is the reason why he said, this handful of leaves is already very useful, very important, enough for you. But this is conducive for enlightenment. That's why the sainthood way is very direct very simple, very effective, but after the sainthood way, even the Buddha himself, he made the bodhisattva vow after the shipwreck, you remember, there was a major shipwreck, during the shipwreck, he was able to save only the mother, the rest all perished, and because of that, he was full of compassion. And he tells himself, he made that vow. From that moment onward, he made that bodhisattva vow. To go the bodhisattva way, to liberate all beings, to save all beings. And because of that, he finally perfected the path, the ten perfection. To be a samasambuddha. After almost four eons, asankaya kapas, three and three quarters, almost four. And his one is the wisdom way, which is one of the fastest already. So, what happened is, when he goes that way, he not only wants to realize uh, his own enlightenment and cease, he wants to perfect all the perfection perfection of wisdom, virtue, understanding so that he has this full perfection of a Sama means wisdom wise, virtue wise, he is perfect in them all. That's why in the Maya teaching they say, Fu Zhu Hui Zhu, means you cultivate virtue and wisdom, perfect them all. Yeah, they say among the bipeds, eh, bipeds, the Buddha, the Samasambuddha, is the highest because they have the highest perfection of wisdom and virtue. And what the Bodhisattva's training is all about is when it becomes perfected, fully awakened, when you become a Samasambhita, your nature will have the understanding of everything that can be known in this universe. That's why it's like the leaves in the forest. That is the understanding of a Samasa Buddha. That's why the Sainthood way compared to the bodhisattva way is completely no comparison at all. But we are not talking about which one is greater, which one is better. It's your choice. The Sainthood way already guarantees liberation of mind, freedom. That's why finally when you go through the Sainthood way, if you Manage to realize the first stage of sainthood, saka, tagab, sorry, sotapanaship. The Buddha said there are ten fetters that you have to break. These are the fetters that bind you to this samsara. That's why it's called fetters. It keeps you here. And the first three fetters, he said, the moment you realize sotapanaship, even as a first stage of sainthood, the first three factors you already severe and the first thing you have to severe is diti self-delusion Knowing that this form of mind is not real, impermanent, not you That is the first one you have to severe Then when you understand this, then you no longer carry with you all the rites and rituals or belief system yeah. Please do not mistaken right and ritual as all the worshipping and all those things. Eh? Of course, some of that is also right and ritual, but the Buddha did introduce devotional practice that are not right and ritual. Do you understand? Devotional practice means before any dharma session uh, or or before any of this. Uh, Dhamma talk, Dhamma discussion or Dhamma session or meditation session. You have to do your devotional practice. We call it the religious routine. This one, he teaches you with understanding. And what do we do? We pay respect. Remember? The triple gem. Then we chant the salutation to the Buddha. The Dhamma and the Sangha. Then the next one is what? You take refuge and yourself. These are not right and ritual. Then after that you renew your precept. These are not right and ritual. Then after that you chant the salutation to the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha so that you know what the Buddha is, the nine great virtue. Then what is the true Dhamma? The salutation to the Dhamma. That's why you chant Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo. Sanditiko Akaliko. If you don't understand what that Dhamma is all about, then how can you cultivate? If you go and do all sorts of meditation and it doesn't come to this realization of the true Dhamma, then you are wasting your time. That's why you have to check your cultivation. Did your cultivation bring forth this type of Dhamma? And what is it? The Buddha said, well expounded is the Dhamma by the Buddha. a swakato bhagavata dhammo. And this Dhamma is sanditiko. Can be realized in the here and the now. No need to wait until that. Yeah. And the next one is even more powerful. This Dhamma is akaliko, beyond thought, beyond mind. It's the timeless, no psychological time, no thought movement. That's idea. Realization of the dhamma, which is nibbana, is the timeless, beyond thought, beyond mind. No mundane mind, no movement of thought. It's the unconditioned. Everything ceases. Then after Sanditiko Akaliko, he said, "Ehi Pasiko, you can come and put to test this dhamma. Where is the truth? It will stand up to investigation." This is a Then this Dhamma is opanaiko. It's a leading inward into your nature, which is our heart. If you meditate and none of this happens, then it is not the Dhamma that the Buddha talked about. If you go and focus, concentrate, and have the fantastic Nimitta and meditation experience, that is not Santitiko. It doesn't awaken you in the here and the now, before you die, and it's not the timeless, Where it's still within the field of thought Then you can put to test Investigate into it. You can investigate. After that you come out of the meditation Do you still have greed? Do you still have selfishness? Do you still have fear, worry, anxiety and all those things? You can check If we stand out to investigation means the law of karma can be proven Karma niyama, citta niyama, dependent orientations, dwelling, it, you can prove it, it will stand out to investigation. Then when you live life, you realize everything follows this teaching. That's how your faith becomes very strong. When you investigate into Dhamma and Dhamma stand out to investigation, your faith is very strong. Then does it lead inward into your nature to connect and realize the enlightenment? upanayiko? Then the last one is Pachetang. We know he. What is Pachetang? can only be realized by the wise, each for themselves. If you have not awakened, you cannot understand this Dhamma. Where this Dhamma is only for the enlightened one. So all these are very clear. Then the last one is salutation to the Sangha. What do we chant? Supatipano bhagavato savakasangha He said, this order of the Sangha, the enlightened disciple of the Buddha, they have these four beautiful qualities. Supatipano bhagavato is of good conduct. It's the order of the enlightened disciple of the Buddha. Their conduct are very, very good. Very wholesome, no negativity. Then the second one is Pujupatipano of righteous conduct. They are very righteous in the way they act and they live their life. They conduct themselves. And the third one is Nyaya Patipano which is of wise conduct. Is the order of the enlightened disciple of the Buddha. Yeah.
1: This wise conduct
0: is very important. They have this wisdom. They conduct themselves with wisdom and understanding, following Noble Eightfold Path. And the last one is the most important. Samichi Patipanno Bhagavato And what is that? Of dutiful conduct. They will do their duty appropriately, correctly. Duty means they know this form and mind is subject to karma. They don't simply do things. You are born into this world. You have your duty as a son, as a father, as a mother, as an employer, as an employee, as fellow living beings. You have this duty with regards to the law of karma. That's why they will never simply do things. They will not be deluded and say, hey, everything is non-self, anatta. He know you, he know me. They simply do thing. I didn't kill anybody. No one born, no one died, no one. No. No. They will know the unconditioned wisdom is different from the conditioned world. The conditioned world, there is such thing as law of karma. There is such thing as a living being doing evil, doing wholesomeness. There is such thing as merits. There is such thing as all the essential dhamma, the following through everything. There is such thing as the reality of life and existence, birth, old age, sickness and death. So these are the conventional reality of the existential world. So these four right conduct is very important. If you cultivate the meditation, then you think you are already enlightened. Uh, you check whether you have good conduct or not. You have right thought, right speech, right action, born of right view. Whether you are righteous or not. Whether you have wisdom and act wisely or not. Whether you know how to do your duty as a living being or as a human being or not. So all these are in the teaching so that you know you are on the right path. You will not go wrong. So sainthood way, it has its own merits. So when you understand all this, this is not right and ritual, understand? Will somebody explain that all this is right and ritual? You don't need this, you only meditate, develop the wisdom, awaken and all. No. What the Buddha meant right and ritual is, you don't have the understanding, you just believe what people tell you. Right and ritual means, I give you an example, like somebody come and tell you, Hey, if you don't believe in my religion, you die already, you go eternal hell. You believe in my religion, the moment you die, you go eternal heaven. The Sotapan will not buy this, understand? He is not deluded anymore. Uh, because he knows this form and mind that take rebirth is not him. It's just karmic, dependent originating, condition arising, causal phenomena. And this is not him. This one is just a vehicle and a tool, karmically conditioned out for him to come to this world to live life. This one is subject to karma. He knows all this. And he knows, no one born, no one died. No one sick, no one old. But there is such thing as life.
1: There is such
0: thing as a fine aggregate of form and mind. And this is where the difference is. That's why the Sotapana already knew this. So no more right and ritual. And the third thing is, the faith in the triple gem, Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, unshakable. You go and tell him, the Buddha's teaching is fake. Wrong. He will never believe you. Because he has realized that self-delusion is a delusion that conditions human suffering. The Saishakaya deity is very powerful. And to root yourself out of self-delusion is not easy because the Mandema is always egoic before you awaken.
2: Yeah.
0: But even as an enlightened being a Sotapan, you still have seven factors you know, to root out. And what is the fourth and the fifth one? The fourth and fifth fetters that bind you to this samsara. Huh? Ah, sensual desire and you will. Means the sotapans still have sensual desire and you will, understand or not? But they are not deluded by the self. That's why it's less. But even as they cultivate and they transform and they realize the enlightenment, to realize the second stage of sainthood, Sakadagami. They only manage to attenuate or reduce the sensual desire and will. They have not rooted it out. Not until you realize Anagami-ship, the third stage of sainthood. Then you completely root out sensual desire and will. Yeah. But please, uh, don't be deceived by what people tell you. When they say you got no more sensual desire, you know what they interpret? Eh, I already anagami arahan. I cannot have craving. So they interpret good food as craving, understand or not? then they dare not even eat good food. <laughs> so if you have that type of thinking then you are far from the real Anagami or Arahanji. Because the Buddha during his time, as a Samasa Buddha, you think when the king and all these uh, wealthy people invite him to house dana, he eat simple food. He eat whatever that was allowable and offered to him. Which are very good food. So when there is condition to have, there is no craving. When condition to have, you can have it. That's why I used to say, if you think you cannot eat, you pass to me. Uh, I will eat. Uh, because there is no craving. Craving is when you don't have the condition to eat, you still want to eat. That is craving. You understand? That's why when there is condition, when it arises, by all means. That's why the Buddha also follows an accord with condition. So he also Ate those good food. Then after that, he also do his part. Share merit, transfer merit, rejoice. And teach people all this important aspect of the teaching, the essential dhamma. So even as an anagami, you only root out the first five factors. Uh, but as an anagami, not better. Your essential desire, you will know more. It's People cannot make you miserable anymore. <laughs> uh, like you put them in anywhere uh, where the condition is very harsh, uh, they are still at peace. Where there is no more craving, sensual desire or evil, they will not get unhappy anymore. But they still got five more factors. So you know what are the five factors or not? That bind the ag- anagami to this world. The six and seven is on. You all don't know. Ah! Attachment to form jhana and formless jhana That is also a factor That's why you think when you go after jhana, you can become enlightened It will trap you This is a factor Attachment to all the blissful state The fantastic meditative state where you enter jhanic experience The first four form jhana especially the fourth jhana where you like enlightened, where equanimity is the final, what they call, outcome. Because first jhana, yeah, you relinquish what they call uh, the heedless thinking. You have the five jhanic factors, vitakka, vichara, piti, sukha, and ekaggata. Mm. Then as you move on, You relinquish the first two, vitaka, vichara, no more. Then, second jhana, there is only pity. Then, as you relinquish that, you go to the third jhana, you only have what they call uh, uh, after pity is sukkang. Then, the last one is ekagata, one pointedness. Ekagata is like equanimity, one pointedness. The mind is equal points But that one is not born of wisdom. That one is one of energy field, concentration. That's why that one is not the real Upeka. Then, of course, the more refined state of formless jhana. Where you experience the infinite space jhana. Then the infinite consciousness jhana. Then the rhyme of nothingness. Then the last one is the most refined. The rhyme of perception neither perception or non-perception. Like your mind is so fine. But that one, they live very long. So when you attach to all this jhanic state, it's still a factor. The anagami has to relinquish, root it out, to understand that these are also a conditioned state. Mind, make, are they? They are not Nibbāla, because it has, it's still within the field of thought you have not gone beyond thought you have not realized the timeless so that's why after these two the six and the seven they still got three more factors. what is the number eight huh? <laughs> they can still have self conceit you know, minor conceit mana you know what is that huh? That one is not selfishness and others, you know. But that is still a conceit. He, he will still think that he is now an anagami. These people are still deluded. putujana. Then he got this sense of he is more superior. That's like this self-conceit, very minor, they call it minor conceit, menak. They still have this thought. But they know the form mind is not them. But they still have this thought that their nature is better than the normal being. That's why that minor conceit is still there. And the nine one is the worst. For no reason, huh, even as an anagami, his mind can become restless or no. Sometimes it's a test, it will come on. How many of you have read this uh, Mahaboha, Acharya Mahaboha's book? He wrote a few books. There is one book, straight from the heart. <laughs> you can read the book. He went through that phase. He was cultivating until he perfected the mindfulness, everything. Then, because his concentration earlier was also very strong. Then he was able to keep his mind calm and peaceful for very long. Then one day, I say, in the book he wrote, He wrote, for no reason, uh, he lost his ability to concentrate and develop all the jianic yeah. mind state. You know. And the mind suddenly becomes so wow, like restless. So. Then he buddho, buddho, buddho again, you know, he go into that. They, they used to buddha through anapanasati. Uh, so, you know. Then to train the mind, to fix the mind. Then he realized all these uh, cannot rule out that factor or restlessness. Because Avijja was not rooted out. The last one was not rooted out. So when Avijja was not rooted out, he still thinks there is a mind that has to be trained and forced into stillness, forced into concentration, so that it will be always mindful, aware, peaceful. Not like that. The Buddha said the mind must cease. Form and mind must cease. That's like cessation of form and mind leading to the realization of Nibbana. That's why like all this, you need to root it out through wisdom. So wisdom means, when you have developed the first and second turning wisdom, the initial wisdom, then your daily mindfulness becomes very stable. That's why like you read the Avijja Sutta. It's very clearly mentioned there. The Buddha mentioned, as in my website, I purposely put it in because when I saw the Sutta, I knew what the Buddha was trying to teach. The Buddha said there are ten steps to realize enlightenment. And there are also ten steps why you cannot realize enlightenment. So it's Avijja Sutta, means Sutta on Ignorance. Avijja. He said for you to progress along of the path of Dhamma, Kaya Yumitashi is 100% of the holy life said, so the first step is to have Dhamma friends, two Dhamma friends. Then when you have Dhamma friends, you will have the condition to realize the second step. He said, you will listen to the Dhamma. The Dhamma friends, they are Dhamma practitioners and cultivator who walk the path of Dhamma. They will cultivate, they will listen to Dhamma, to the true Dhamma. Yeah, so, that is the second step. And when you listen to the true Dhamma, you develop the faith. understanding, then you straighten your view, then you reflect and contemplate through what they call the first turning and second turning wisdom. That is the initial wisdom. That's why from the first step, second step, you reach the third step. The third step is faith in the triple gem. Then you straighten your view, you contemplate, reflect, develop the first, second turning, initial wisdom. Then the fourth step is that you develop the initial wisdom called Yoni Manasikara. Wise attention at the moment of sense experience. He said after you develop this only your mind can become more quiet. You know the first two links, avija pachya, sankara, when you have ignorance activity of mind, sankara will arise. That's why you think a lot, you become heedless. And you cannot meditate. So what you do? They will teach you method, technique, to focus, to concentrate, to anchor your mind so that it doesn't run. But the true teaching is not like that. The true teaching is aware, silent, develop the wisdom, the initial wisdom. Then when you realize that, then your mind will not react and stir like before, because you already know. The stirring of the mind is due to your wrong view, so you straighten your view. That's why the initial wisdom will allow you to straighten your view. Then with the initial wisdom, Next time when you see something, hear something, your mind will not stir like before. It will be more calm, more peaceful. You can accept them for what they are. The world is the world. People is just the way they are. Selfish people do selfish things. Angry people do angry things. And deluded people do deluded things. So when you can accept you are at peace, your mind stirs less. So when it doesn't stir, it means you have more moment of peace, more moment of calmness. More moment of mindfulness. That's how your daily mindfulness comes about. So avijja-paccaya-sankara, when you straighten your view, there is less avijja, means less sankara, less thinking, less movement of thought. That's how you transform. When you become different through understanding, the thought reduce by itself. You no need to go into concentration, focus, and fix the mind and control the mind, don't it? That's why the fourth step is Initial Wisdom, Yoniso Manasika So when you have this at the moment of sense experience your mind doesn't stir anymore like before then feeling can be pure feeling it does not condition craving not like before and because of that, the Buddha says you can develop the fifth step which is Sati Sampajana Cultivation of daily mindfulness with clear comprehension of all things then the Buddha in his teaching mentioned under Kaya upasana First, mindful of the four postures. Then connect all the parts or all the steps in between the four postures. With everything you do with awareness. Standing aware, looking forward aware, bending, stretching, turning aware. Putting on your monk's robe, shoulder cloth and all those things, aware answer nature's call also aware everything you do is with mindfulness awareness it's only when you develop this sati jana until very stable then you can become heatful in the midst of life then Dhamma pada verse 21 confirm the heatful never die heatfulness is the path to the deathless whereas if you don't have the daily mindfulness and you are heedless. Heedlessness is the path to the dead. The heedless are as if dead. You don't stand a chance at all. Spiritually, you are as if dead. That's why this daily mindfulness is very important. You have to do it. And that is the fifth step. After you have this daily mindfulness, you can see your subtle mental intention, your subtle greed, your subtle uh, uh, egoic mind, your subtle delusion, and all those things. You, you can see them, it, it becomes automatic, very clear to you. That's why the four right effort become very simple. When you see them, you know how to abandon them, we are the five way, and you know how to meditate. And after the fifth step, the sixth step is, you will have sense restraint. Uh, it's in the sutta, sense restraint means, at the moment of seeing, this thing doesn't move anymore, not like before. So this sense restraint, when you see something, hear something, smell something, taste something, tactilely feel something or think or something, it does not react and stir like last time. And this sense restraint will condition you to the next step, which is the seventh step. And what is that? You will have the three ways of right conduct. Right speech, right action and right thought. Before sense restraint, you cannot. You can't even see them. That's like that day, somebody came and talked to me about keeping the five precepts. He said, I got keep. I'm really serious. I never kill, never harm. I said, yeah, that is outwardly. You understand, outwardly. But do you know, mentally, you violate all the precepts? Your evil root of greed, hatred, delusion, selfishness, intention to take advantage of people. All these are there you never see before. Because you don't have mindfulness, understand? So mentally, you cannot keep your precept. So there are three levels, understand? First is physical level, understand? Then second is at the speech level, understand? The third one is at the thought level. (laughs) So they say they keep, but it's outwardly, understand? So outwardly, they try to show people that they are very religious. Uh, So they say, uh, I follow rules, Uh, this one cannot, that one cannot, no I'm not going to do this, Uh, I am a religious person, but inwardly there is a lot of delusion, there is a lot of craving, desire, they suppress them, so when they suppress them, these are not rooted out, these are latent tendencies, that will come out any when there is condition. So that's why like sometimes when they suppress until they cannot control, suddenly they burst out. Some people commit suicide too. Uh, and there are a lot of other related delusions. So when you really have that mindfulness, Sati Sampajana, you can see all this very clearly. Then you can have sense restraint. Uh, then you can have the three way of right conduct. Means your right action, right speech and right thought, they are always there. The Buddha says, after this step only you do the 8th the step. You know what is the 8th step? Cultivate the 4 foundations of mindfulness. That's why a lot of people don't know. They go retreat, straight away they go into 4 foundations of mindfulness. Where they are very gullible. The Buddha said this is the only way. But are you ready? If you read the Satipatthana Sutta, the opening statement is always this, after overcoming covetousness and grief, then only you cultivate Kaya no pasana, Vedana no Pasana, Citta no pasana, Dhamma no pasana. So what is the meaning of after overcoming covetousness and grief? Means I must have this mind, the initial wisdom that doesn't allow me to suffer to that extent Understand? So that this mind does not have this desire and craving to own an attachment for things anymore. Of course not rooted out yet. Like the second stage of sainthood. Or the third stage of anagaminship. Means the moment you are ready to cultivate what they call the four foundations of mind, you are at least a sotapan, I tell you. Otherwise you cannot do that. That's how you can overcome covetousness the very strong craving and desire uh, and grief. You cannot become miserable anymore, but you still have suffering. Uh, so no. oh. Like like the second stage the second stage, of they still have aversion, but attenuated, less already. Yeah. So this one, when you are at the stage of having the ability to overcome sensual desire, uh, sorry, covetousness and grief, Then you are ready to cultivate the 8th step, which is the four foundation of Mindfulness. So when you go into the four foundation of Mindfulness, it's very easy. You like stream through. Why? Because your daily Mindfulness is already there. Sati Sampajana is already there. Then you can be at the moment of feeling, at the moment of perception, at the moment of content of of consciousness, at the moment of consciousness, at the moment of whatever you want to be then kaya Pasana become very easy because your daily mindfulness is already there so, so under parasati, you are already able to train that is to develop mindfulness then after that you go into the second category of practice of kaya Pasana, which is mindfulness of the four postures. you definitely can do where your sati sampajana is already done then the third category of cultivation of kaya pasana is Actually, daily mindfulness, sati sampe jana, which you have already done. So straight away you can reflect and contemplate on the four elements, the 32 part, then the nine stages of seven-three, decomposition. To you, it's very fast, it's just skin true. That when it comes to Vedana Upasana, because your mindfulness is so stable, you can be at the moment of feeling. It doesn't run, it doesn't move, it doesn't stir at all. Then when you allow it to be, then you see how your mind stirs and react, because there is still habitual tendency, you understand, from the past. So this habitual tendency when they arise, your mindfulness will see. That's why the Buddha under the Satipatthana Sutta says, when feeling has become pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, you must be aware. You understand? Why did the Buddha say you must be aware? Means he is telling you that feeling has been conditioned into, into what? Craving, understand? Or not? Pleasant and unpleasant feeling is what? Like and dislike, understand? Or not? Which is sensual desire and ill will, the first two factors, understand? Or not? This is what the teaching is all about. When you are mindful that your mind has stirred and created the mental hindrance, of sensual desire, and you will, and you still don't know, you still know feeling, feeling, feeling. You still know pleasant feeling, pleasant feeling, unpleasant What is all this? What the Buddha wants you to know is, when feeling has become unpleasant, it means it's ill-will. This is a mental hindrance, and it will hinder your mind from entering the meditative state. That's why when you understand that, you will remain aware. Then what happens? Pleasant and unpleasant come about because your mind stirs, understand so And as somebody who has gone to the seventh stage, your mind actually has the understanding already. Where you have the initial wisdom, it's not supposed to stir. But sometimes this habitual tendency, because you have been having this habit for so long, and Even though you know, it will stir for a while, and so It is your habit. And uh, then the moment it stirred, you understand. This is how my mind stirred. This is how wrong view create this movement. Then you come to understand, yeah, through this teaching, mindfulness, that all this is what the Buddha is trying to teach you. When you are mindful of feeling, you can see this very clearly. Then you can see how the mental hindrance come to be. So in that that fourth foundation, you know Dhamma Nupasana, what is the first category of cultivation? Mindfulness of the five mental hindrances. And inside there you know what that Sutta mentioned? He said when this when there is this sensual desire means the first of the five mental hindrances. When sensual desire arise, you are aware. Then when sensual desire ceases to be, you are also aware. Then because of that, you will come to understand how the unarisen sensual desire comes to be. And because you saw it disappear, you will also come to know how the arisen sensual desire cease to be. And how can you do that? If you don't have the stability of mindfulness, you cannot do that. So when sensual desire arises, if you silence your mind through the third way that the Buddha teaches you, don't do anything, what happens? It will cease to be. And that's but this is a condition state. Through wrong you you stir. So if you do not allow it to stir through an understanding, you remain silent, relaxed, just aware, it will cease to be. Then, when it ceases to be, you come to know how the arisen sensual desire ceases to be. True or not? So, when I know how it ceases, through not doing anything, there is meditation. You understand? Then, every time when I have fear, worry, anxiety, sorrow, and lamentation, I just silence. It ceases to be. Then I realize fear is not me. Sensual desire is not me. Anger is not me. So I don't have to tell myself, I still have anger, I still have greed, I still have fear. That is delusion. You don't understand who you are. These are all mind states, dependent originating, conditioned out through wrong view. Why can't you see it in the meditation? That's why you are supposed to see this in the meditation. Then after that, the Satipatthana Sutta say no. After you have come to know how the un-arisen, eh, mental hindrance comes to be and how the eraser mental hindrance is to be, then you will develop the wisdom to know that how in the future, this mental hindrance will not arise anymore. Means the habitual tendency also no more. And that is what Satipatthana is all about. You will awaken. So all this teaching is connected. Then after feeling, the Buddha said you must go to Chitta Nupasana. So Chitta is what? Mindfulness of mind states, which is the content of consciousness. When the mind, the citta, has sensual desire, I must be aware. Understand When the citta has ill will, I must be aware. When the citta is peaceful, I must be aware. When the citta is spacious, I must be aware. And all the various movements of citta, you develop awareness. No need to do anything. Don't try to know. Just aware. Away. away. Then finally you will come to know that this citta, all the manifestation is not that citta. You understand? That is the Monday mind. Dependent originating, condition arising, cause of the The real one is when there is no thinking, no thought, no movement. That silence. That's why you must realize your true mind, your true nature. When you realize that, then you realize all the rest is false. Then your mind become quiet, peaceful, still. That's how you connect. Then your understanding will unfold. That is what Satipatthana is all about. So the Sainthood Way will go through this. The Ten fetters. they will root it out. Then after you develop this Four Foundations of Mindfulness, when you are on the right path, you will realize the dhamma practices. After mindfulness of the five mental hindrances, you will develop mindfulness of the five aggregate of form and mind, the two aspects. You will come to know this is not you, not real. Then after that, mindfulness of the six internal sense bases and six external sense bases. That one we have covered. The fourth practice of dhamma you know what is it? Mindfulness are the seven factors of enlightenment. When you reach this stage, you know you are on the right path. If you meditate and none of the factors of enlightenment arise, you are definitely on the wrong path. But if you meditate until the factors of enlightenment keep on arising, then you know you are on the right path. What are the seven factors of enlightenment? First is Sati. You have already developed it. Second is Dhamma Investigation. Dhamma Vichaya. You already use your contemplation and reflection to constantly investigate into Dhamma. Then this Dhamma vichaya will arise, sati will arise. Then when you see that this Dhamma stand up to investigation, what happens? Your faith becomes very strong. Isn't it? Well, you know this is the truth. It stands up to investigation. So it will develop the faith to drive you to cultivate. That's why your viriya is there. And virya is your third enlightenment factor. And when there is virya, your sati becomes very stable. Because you are driven by this spiritual zeal to cultivate. Then your sati, when it become very stable, you will experience pity. Pity is the fourth enlightenment factor. Then when you continue to relax into it and silence, you will realize passati, the fifth enlightenment factor. Emptiness is your silent mind, tranquility of mind, stillness of mind, the true mind, without the mundane mind. That is the enlightenment factor. Not until you hit that, your daily mindfulness cannot come to mind. Then when you stabilize that, your samadhi, which is a collected and unwavering mind, within life, in the midst of life, will arise. That is the real samadhi, not born of concentration not due to a conditioned state. It is a free mind that is by itself collected and unwavering because of wisdom, nothing else. So when there is this wisdom and the samadhi becomes so stable because of wisdom, the last factor of enlightenment upekha will be that. That upekha is born of wisdom, not a conditioned state, not energy field. That is how the sainthood way can severe all the ten factors and end up realizing arahanship. And when you become an arahan, your form and mind cease and your whole nature disappear with it. Because you cannot come back. You don't have the Bodhisattva vow to bring about condition for another form and mind to come. That's why it's no more finished. But it's already liberation, awakening. Cease, no more suffering. You don't have to come back to the conditioned world. But if you want to understand more, develop more understanding, develop more wonderful experiences, then you can take the Bodhisattva way because you have a bigger heart. Then you want to perfect, not only cultivate the handful of leaves for enlightenment, self-enlightenment, you can cultivate the understanding of every of this cultivation with perfection of wisdom, perfection of virtue, perfection of all the understanding that is possible in this universe. That's why that one takes very long. The sainthood way is relatively easy. That's why you have the card. Yeah? That vow, Bodhisattva vow that I did it because it's from my past. And this teaching is supposed to come up if you follow that, you will have the understanding of this teaching even when the Buddha Sasana is not around. Then it will also teach you how to break the karmic obstruction. Then it will also teach you how to arise the Bohi mind to cultivate the first stage of Bodhisattva hood, means how to become a Bodhisattva. The first stage is very easy just plant the seed of Bohi deep into your nature, with strong faith, sada virya, and deep sincerity. Yeah. Then just allow this to nurture from your nature. Yeah. So once you have planted this bohimai, it will actually create the condition for you to arise and come. But because after arahanship, you got no more avijja. You understand that? Yeah? No more ignorance. So you got no more rebirth like normal human being, no. Normal human being need avijja to come back, no? You need ignorance to be reborn, no. Then arahantship way, no more avijja. That's why they cease. They do, they finish. But Bodhisattva, without avijja, how they come back? Because of their vow, understand? No? And what is their vow? Out of love and compassion for the living being. They vow to liberate the limitless living being. That vow is out of love and compassion, and there is a pure mind. Understand now? There is a mind, but pure, with sincerity, with love and compassion, with understanding. That's why this one is a pure mind, and this pure mind can take rebirth, because the Bodhisattva know. You need a mind to come back, but if you don't have ignorance, you need a pure mind. Pure mind supported by the vow. Understand? Where you vow to liberate the limitless being. So this vow enters the nature's law and create condition for the karmic nature to create another form of mind. But when you come, you are not the normal with avijja. Understand? All? That's why when my nature come, I still remember when I was very really young. It's a pure mind, it's a pure thought, until five, six years old, I didn't talk, my mind blank, nothing inside, my grandmother was worried for me, he thought I dumb, don't know how to talk, Uh, but my mind, I saw my photo that my father took when I was young, the moment I saw that photo, I knew the state of mind, no thought at all inside there, completely blank, clean, like a clean slate. That's why it will come that way. Then, of course, when I enter the world, I develop all the conditioning. That's how I learn. That's how I grew up. And I use this for my mind because it has the coming nature to support. It has the spiritual nature. To it knows how to come. And it knows how to manifest. Well, everything is already there because of your understanding. You just accord and flow. Technically, I don't do anything, like I told Chi uh, Because it's just the way it is. Everything is already there. So this is how the bodhisattva can come back. Then the other three vows is actually to help you in your cultivation, to take you along. The four basic vows are very beautiful. The first vow is you vow our all love and compassion to liberate the limitless being. So this will keep you very long in samsara, understand, keep on coming back. But what's wrong with coming back with this understanding? It's beautiful, isn't it? If you come back without this understanding, then it's miserable. You have to suffer as But before you connect, you can still go through some form of suffering. It depends on your past, your vow and your understanding. But if you have this aspiration that you make before you take the vow, that this aspiration is to have right view with regards to the essential Dhamma. To understand yeah, that this five aggregate of form and mind is not real, the two aspects, not you and other those things. Yeah. Then you also develop all the other aspirations to understand the essential Dhamma clearly. Yeah. And you have to see all this through the direct see, yeah, so that you can awaken. Yeah. Then after that, there's another one, you make aspiration to break all your karmic obstruction, if there's any. Uh, From the triple gem, from all beings and all those things. Uh, Then after that, you have your miscellaneous vow to actually help you. So the four basic vows, the first one is, out of love and compassion for living beings, you vow to liberate them. Second one is, you vow to severe, all versection and affliction means all suffering, you vow to severe them. Severe means develop the wisdom so that it will not affect you, will not afflict you. Yeah. This is what they call perfection of renunciation. The first one is the perfection of love and compassion, the first vow. And the second vow is renunciation. How can you severe all suffering and affliction? unless you can renounce everything understand now Means nothing can make you attach and cling that's why the virtue of renunciation is there, very powerful and renunciation nikama is a very powerful virtue you can renounce everything you can renounce the world you can renounce the form of that's why when sakyamuni buddha was tested there were one Jataka's story, you remember that? They forced him to renounce the wife and the children to surrender. That is what renunciation is all about. Because he knew it was a test. And he did it. Then there was one incident where the tigress was so weak with the cup all there, He sacrificed, he just jumped out and let the body be food to the tigress. And this is what Nikama is all about, renunciation. You can renounce your physical body, everything. He knows this is not real. This form of mind is just a condition, comically conditional for you to come to this world. That's why he can sacrifice. He can do all this. And the third vow is, you vow to study, perfect all wisdom. Means the perfection of wisdom. So this third vow will allow you to perfect all of the understanding, all of the wisdom. Then the last one, of course, you vow to perfect the 10 perfection, to become a samasambuddha. So that one will be the final accumulation. So these four basic vows that lead you to become a samasambuddha can also be converted into the five stages of Bohi Mind development the five stages of Bohi Mind development are very beautiful first is the Bohi Mind that plant the seed of Bohi to walk this way means you know this way is so beautiful and you want to go this way you got nothing to lose because this is the perfection of virtue and wisdom that's how you vow to take this vow you vow to develop all this understanding to become a sammasambuddha so you plant this bohi mind bohi means enlightenment the enlightenment thought deep into your nature to walk this way to take the vow to perfect yourself your, your whatever nature so when you do that this will create condition to the vow for you to arise whenever you need to arrive, even after you become arahant. It will condition you to have a forming mind to come, but not through ignorance, through a pure mind. And you will know. That as you cultivate, you will know, you will connect. But initially, before your bodhisattva way stabilised, before your cultivation becomes extensive, it will take you relatively long time to connect. Uh, like this life, my nature was very fortunate. Like Sakyamuni, age 35, it connects. So, depend. Sometimes, because you are still new, you're still not sure. Then when it comes, if you don't have this vow that I help you to have, then later on you also cultivate affinity with all the Buddha, the great being, like Kuan Yin, all the uh, Manjushri, and all these things. So when you cultivate affinity with this great being, their nature, their vow, they are so extensive, they have perfected them all. And they will actually bring forth the causes and conditions to actually support your practice, take you along. Because when you have affinity with them, through the respect, through chanting, their whatever, uh, for how and all those things, like the Kuan Yin is the heart sutta, the great compassionate sutta, and the, what they call mantra, Om, pay Mi, Mi, me, and all those things. So when you develop affinity, you pay your respect, and you develop all the understanding, then you seek their blessing, protection, and guidance, life after life. And you thank them sincerely for protecting your nature, blessing, and guidance, life after life then you will cultivate the affinity, and you will become very beautiful. Then when you have this, they actually protect you. Like this life, my form and mind, being very fragile and very vulnerable, at least three occasions, it's supposed to die, but it didn't die because of kuan Yin. Yin. And a lot of funny things happen, you'll never understand. But for those who are on this path, they will know. Then because of conscious nature, that's why this form of my mind need protection. Uh, blessing and guidance, you know, huh, is for you to develop wisdom and to bless you along so that you have good condition. So these are all the secrets that you need to have if you want to cut short this training. And if you want to come in such a beautiful manner so that you can have all this understanding. So, just like this life, after age 35 when it connects, life becomes so beautiful. So, worth coming, isn't it? You want to come not, with all this understanding. If you come without this understanding, then myself don't come. on. But sometimes, you've got no choice. You have to come. You know why you have to come. Karma forces you to come. Uh. But if you are Bodhisattva, you can choose. To come or not to come, up to you. We are your vow, your your understanding of all this. Uh, so I hope I have answered your question. Huh? okay. I need a drink. Huh? <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Have a drink. Huh? You all can think of your question. <laughs> what is the time now? Oh, you better stop. <laughs> tonight. Tonight I got another open house invitation. <laughs> So tonight, a lot of people have their own activity. Uh. <laughs> Open house, you are invited. So when you are invited, you are a guest. <laughs> so if they know how to invite you, of course they will be blessed. Uh. But if they don't know how to invite you, then the blessing is less. <laughs> uh. Okay, shall we end? We share marriage, we transform marriage. Huh? Starting with the devas. Aka sata Chabumata deva naga mahindika <speaking in> Punyang <foreign language> tang anumodita cirang rakan tulokasana itta watta cahamehi sampadan punya sampadan sabedeva Anamodantu สับสัมปติสิเดีย idang me tinang hotu sukita hon tu idang menya tinang hotu sukita hon tu idang tinang hotu sukita hon tu Imena te Mame bala samagamo, satang samagamo hotu, Yawanivana Patiya sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Okay, thank you. Huh? You can pay respect to triple jam. Huh? The author is outside there. <laughs> you just face that direction. Huh? Sado. <laughs>
1: Mrs. Steel, thank you very much uh, for coming. It, is, uh, uh, it makes me very happy to meet up with uh, all of you. Uh, it's been uh, some time that we last met, uh, but I think it's a wonderful occasion and uh, I hope that uh, all of you have uh, enjoyed the lunch. Uh, Yes, I do, and uh, thank you, Brother Teo, for sharing the leaves on the palm today, to all of us. Thank you. Yes. Um, Don't have to wait for the whole year before you all come again. You are always welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. That's... uh, about Thai Koi. Oh, okay. 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 okay, like to have it, and we can adjourn there. Yeah, yeah. and thank you. you. Still like <laughs> Just a wee bit, <laughs>